Jerry Fergon and Doug Conley work for Taylor Fergon Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Taylor Fergon Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed. If you are a Taylor Fergon client, please remember to contact Taylor Fergon in writing. If there are any changes to your personal financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or advising our previous recommendations and or services, or if you would like to impose, add, or modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. Welcome once again to the Long Only Podcast. Jerry, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Doug. How are you? I'm okay. So he's Jerry Fergon. I'm Doug Connolly, and we are here to talk about the subject no one likes, taxes. Jerry, when it comes to taxes, most people do taxes how I pack, which is waiting till the last minute, taking care of everything in the last hour, uh, crying, possibly. What are some things that we do as a firm to uh, to mitigate taxes? Well, let's first throw a big disclaimer on that and say we are not tax advisors. So anything that we say here is to be run by whoever is listening to its tax advisor for its accuracy. But um, having been at this and deploying these strategies for a long time, um, we're, we're very comfort- comfortable in speaking about it. Um, so I think the most common thing, as you say, is waiting to the last moment end of the year, especially if they've taken some capital gains um, and looking to then go through the portfolio and see anything that's a loss and sell it at all costs. Um, Probably the worst possible time to do that because everybody else and their brother is doing the same thing. And then there's this thing called the January effect, which is, is, is titled that for the very uh, reason that people sell in December, let's say, um, then they're buying back 30, 31 days later. Um, to avoid the wash sale to rule. To avoid the wash sale rule, which says, you, you know, you can't buy and sell right you know, in the same instant. In fact, you have to wait 31 days. Um, otherwise, it's considered a nullified loss and, uh, you, and you can't use it against your taxes or any other capital gains that you may have, have uh, encountered throughout the, the course of that year. So more preferable to... Ha- to, to take an approach that is um, earlier in the year, for sure. And depending on the circumstances in the market, and we happen to be right now in, in, a, in a circumstance in the market where we, particularly with our growth type companies, we've seen fairly significant drawdowns. And in some cases, we, we, we have shares that are at losses. And you know, attacking that or, or taking an approach to dealing with that and taking on a tax selling strategy makes more sense earlier in the year because it gives you more options. So well, let's go into the nuts and bolts of the main strategy we use with regards to this, because keep in mind, dude, and most people probably know this, but to make sure that just to cover our bases, you don't get rich or wealthy solely by focusing on avoiding taxes, because if that's the case, you know, making money, one of the one of the problems is making you're on a partnership with the government and making money. One of the side effects is probably going to see some, some, get some tax hits. But certain things about ways of operating are much more tax efficient than others. And having an eye towards how to oftentimes mitigate a bad situation uh, or less than ideal situation can save you a lot of money and also turn and spin and what could be a negative into a positive because we've already seen recording this in early June. Uh, We've come off our bottom, 
um, as, as a firm, uh, and there was a big growth so, so far. And there was, it could very well be that a lot of these things don't just mitigate taxes, but they also encourage some good behavior by the clients in terms of adding in more money when the market was down. Yeah. Well, so what, what are the, the strategies? It's always been preferable and, and, and let's not even use the term strategy because I, I don't want a strategy that's about taking losses. Uh, let's call it a tactic that can be used in order to um, either offset current gains or potentially roll over realized losses into the future and then use them at some point in the future when you do have gains, which is allowed. Okay. Um, and, and the preferable way, and then I tell you again, in my long tenure in this business, th- that tactic of preferably getting new funds into the account and buying whatever the position is that may be at a loss. And and what we're seeing in our portfolio, by the way, is a lot of situations where we might have a position that is not at a loss overall, or it might even be at a gain overall, but we have certain lots of shares in that position that were purchased at a point where it was at a higher price and those are at a loss. And so we can go in, so let's just as a point of example, say you have a thousand shares of XYZ and you bought it at 15 um, and then you bought some more at 30 and now it's at 20. So you got um, a loss on, so you've got, you've but, got a lot of gain, sorry, a loss on some shares, gain on another. So yeah, let's say you had a thousand shares till you had 500 that you bought it at 15 and then another 500 you bought at 30 and now it's at 20. Those 500 shares that you bought at 30 are at a loss. The tactic we like is to take funds, go in and buy those 500 shares. And as the rules go with respect to the the wash sale is that you have to wait 31 days and then you can sell your original shares and and you can, you can specify which lots of shares or which shares you specifically want. You're, you're literally specifying I'm selling the shares that were purchased at $30 a share. And that book's a loss. And what we have found is more often than not, when are you doing that kind of strategy? You're doing it with things that have been beaten up. And so rather than just outright selling, waiting 31 days and then buying back, because you're, you're at risk. We know how quickly things move in these markets. I mean, my gosh, if a week ago, literally, you had taken on that strategy or taken on that tactic with, with any number of companies in the portfolio that we have right now, and you sold to take the loss, we've had some things that are up 30 and 40% in a week. <laughs> not, not necessarily feeling really good about the fact that 31 days later, now we, we all know that 31 days later, it might be back down again. But my experience has been, that's not generally the case. In fact, what you're doing then is kind of killing two birds with one stone. One, you're adding money into the portfolio when it's down. Okay. And two, you're putting yourself in a position to, to generate some tax losses that can be used either now, if you have gains in the current year, or rolled over into future years where you know, when, when you have gains, then uh, you, can, you can use those losses as an offset. I would say, I haven't run, I haven't run any specific analysis of this, but just from sheer, you know, having done it so many times, I bet about half the time that we've taken that tactic, we've ended up without any losses <laughs> to be able to take because we're buying in at a point where things are down, um, and then they and then they rally. And oh, oh my gosh, so much for the loss! 
You know, well, okay, fine. But let's say that, let's use that same example of I, I bought 500 shares at 15. I bought another 500 shares at 30. Now it's at 20. Um, and I buy another 500 shares. At 20. Okay, at 20. Um, the thing goes back to, to 30. Now I've lo- I don't have a loss anymore. But I can always go in and sell those 500 shares that I bought at 30 with no gain, no loss to bring my weighting back down to what I want it to be. And that's generally what, what we would do in that circumstance. And then redistribute any any gain throughout elsewhere, the portfolio? Elsewhere. Or, or, and in fact, it's one of the reasons why um, when we have a situation like this, the last time we, we, we saw the opportunity to do this in, in mass was back in the dot-com blow up. The 2001, 2002 timeframe was a period where we you know, had on a, on a much broader scale, kind of like we have today, a, a broader scale, be able to do this. And, you know, there were circumstances where we had, again, I don't remember exactly the amount, but there were years of rollovers of loss carryovers that we had that um, when we did start taking gains again, we didn't have to take pay taxes because we had the offsets of the losses and, and doing it that way also in my experience, has tended to not affect the overall performance of the portfolio. Because we're, 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 we're in, and, and what we do is try to, again, tactically look at what are the positions that we can uh, you know, feel comfortable we're not going to be over, so overweighted that it could hurt us one way or the other. I like to do that if we have money coming into the account, like to, and I have multiple um, shares that are at losses, I like to do as many of them as I can. Um, because that, again, it's, it's, all, it's, it's keeping things relatively balanced. Now, the, the risk is, is you're going to be somewhat out of balance for a little while. And then what I mean by out of balance is if, if you thought of in a perfect scenario, all of your positions are equally weighted. Well, you're not going to be equally weighted um, for a bit. But in a, in a portfolio with 30 to 50 names in it, having a few that are a little bit overweighted and a few that are a little underweighted. I mean, the reality is, is that's how you end up most of the time anyway. Well, it could so, be though that also gets you back to proper weighting for a time anyway, because maybe you're doing it with a stock that's particularly beat up. And well, and there's a third tactic on that or, or another tactic on that. Um, and, and I'll say third, if you, if you think of what's the first tactic would be end of the year, you're selling all your losses. Bad idea. I've, I've seen so many people get hurt with that. Save money on taxes. Pennywise, pound foolish, you end up losing more money than you would have paid in taxes by not being in when it rallies. Um, second tactic is what I just explained. Add money to the account, look for lost lots, buy those lost lots, wait 31 days, sell the original shares. Third tactic is, again, requires more funds coming into the account, but literally overweight considerably enough so that when you're done, let's say, assuming all things remaining equal, the price doesn't change in 31 days, you can sell the lost lots and then you're left with what the position is that you want. Um, that, that it's, it's, it's the model way. It's what, if, if, if that position is, um, in our model, a 2% weighting, you buy enough so that when you finish unwinding all things remaining equal, you still have a 2% position. Um, so that would be, that would be the third option. And we should also disclaim that it's getting these on the mark is very, it's more art than science because these do require having, uh, you know, making some sort of, for lack of a better word, prediction. We don't know what's going to happen. We and can't I, guarantee this is going to be the low point. Things aren't going to go lower. No, and and the, the, exactly. The, I mean, the downside is, of course, you're overweighting in some of these positions for a while, and if they should get hurt even more, 
uh, you know, that's not good, but I can, again, with, with confidence of, of experience and history say, I, I don't recall ever being hurt like that in this across the board. You might have one position that doesn't do well, but then something else offsets it. So it, it kind of evens itself out in the wash at the, at the end of the day. Let me preface all of this with, this is not something that we want to be doing. <laughs> in a perfect world, we're not worrying about taxes. And, and I will also say that no matter what, even considering this tactic, we will never sacrifice investment decisions for tax decisions. We're doing this within the context of it's okay from our perspective, from an investment standpoint, to be making this overweight for, for this period of time. In other words, we're comfortable with that from an investment standpoint first. If we weren't comfortable with all of this from an investment standpoint, we would not do it. What I'm saying is, is, and kind of your point about it's an art, not a science, we take great care to make sure that what we're doing is keeping the sensitivity of the entire portfolio as close to equilibrium as we can with respect to how will that portfolio perform versus a portfolio that's doing nothing. And again, our experience has been that we're, we're able to, I guess, just from our experience, be able to position things so that we've rarely had any kind of significant diversion or dispersion, I should say, um, of, of returns from a portfolio that's sitting there. Let's say one of our non-taxable accounts that doesn't need to worry about this versus the taxable account. It, it's, it's, been, it's been negligible. And when I say it's art more than science, oftentimes people say that as a way of scaring off newbies or the, the, you know, the, the uninitiated, so to speak. I would say that when I said that, if, to be clear, it was that there's an element of this that we have to make a, just make a call and go with it because we don't know if the market's going to go up further or go down. Right. And we're stuck with basically being overweight now or overweight later. So that's, that's the aspect that just people are going to have to be, get somewhat comfortable with. And, and undergirding all of this, though, is one, is, I wouldn't say one basic principle, but a basic principle is that you're, we're, using the relatively short-term carrot of tax savings to encourage the long-term behavior of adding money to the market when the, when the portfolio is down. And largely speaking, that's probably served the investor much better than going into cash when the market is down a little bit. Absolutely. And again, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. So many times, and I'm going to say at least half the time, we've ended up wipe where we didn't have a loss to take. <laughs> but okay, so what? <laughs> It worked out even even better. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is making lemonade out of lemons for sure. Um, at least that's what we're attempting to do. And if we end up, you know, going even a step further and making it better, great. But our sense is that kind of the, the worst case scenario is is maybe. And by the way, we're not forced to sell in thirty one days. We just have to wait at least thirty one days, or I should say, after thirty one days. We just have to wait at least that long. And so there could, there have been circumstances where, you know, for whatever reasons, market conditions, liquidity conditions, we've determined, you know what, we're going to give it another day or two or three, or maybe even another few weeks before we unwind this. And that's part of the art aspect of it too. But um, something that, that we're comfortable doing again, because we're not just going to blindly look at it from a tax standpoint. We're looking at it also from the overall investment standpoint and trying to make sure that we're not uh, interrupting the investment strategy. But our, yeah, so, so in other words, don't make a tax tactic interrupt an investment strategy. And 
this is this has been over the years what we've found in 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 difficult market environments like we have been in. This is something that we have found is that you know two big pluses: getting money in the account when things are down and creating some tax losses where we can. In that moment, yeah. And that's what, let's face it, that's what we care about most of all. That's why we're having this conversation exactly. because many of our tax decisions are made. Uh, we Most of us are making these decisions in December because we're, we're only thinking one or two months ahead. I, I know I fall guilty of that yeah. uh, at, at times. So we're trying to just encourage investors to have a longer-term view. Uh, and this is one way, just one way to do it, looking towards the next year, but also in the process of doing that, making decisions that probably will affect your portfolio to the positive three, three, four, five years out. I would say no doubt. I mean, it's, um, that's why I said it's a twofold or or two pronged approach of primarily buying, getting more money into your account, putting more money into your account at a point where things are down and secondarily getting yourself the potential for some tax losses that you are realized that you can either use now or roll over into the future. And you also touched on something earlier. This is for taxable accounts, regular Correct. accounts. It becomes a lot simpler and a, a point if you're talking about a tax advantage account, a retirement account of, yep. of some kind. So seek always seek to maximize those when possible, but also keep in mind, nothing's free with Uncle Sam and those, those bring more restrictions. That's correct. Well, any other closing thoughts you might have on the subject? No, but I mean, you're using, I guess the one thing I would add is use the term long-term and we preach that so often. And I know probably people get tired of hearing it, but it really is what matters. I mean, this is, this is just a tactic. Um, We have had it work successfully, fortunately not having to do it very often, (laughs) Um, but we've had it work successfully over the, in the, in past years when, I gave the example of that dot-com era. Um, I guess I would take away that more than anything is doing these kinds of plans before you get to the end of the year is most crucial. And and, it's, and now surely, you know, a, a downturn could happen in December and we've had those before and created some losses and then you have a little less flexibility more often than not, what I would say in those situations is still resist the temptation. Um, sure, if there's positions that we're going to, you know, thinking we're going to sell and we would have liked to maybe wait until January, maybe maybe we'll accelerate that sale into December because we don't want it anyway from an investment standpoint. But um, more, uh, you know, more often than not, what we would do in that case is say, yeah, it's, not worth, it's not worth the tax savings to risk the investment miss. And and so often in that time of year, you're buying back at points where it costs you more to by by doing that transaction than by just sucking up and paying the taxes. Um, but anyway, that's uh, I, th- I think that's it. That's, that's the only other thing I would add. Oh, I do have one question in closing. You mentioned this was done in the dot-com bubble. Why not during the Great Recession? Why didn't, why wasn't it deployed then? You know, for the, to a great extent, we didn't have as many um, we didn't have losses. We didn't have unrealized losses to the extent that we did in .com, largely because we had had positions kind of like we do now. I said that you, somewhat of a unique circumstance what we were in lately is because of the huge up, um, we were buying some things when new money came into the account or we were making you know, rebalancings where we were buying some things at, at what have now turned out to be higher prices 
you know, in some cases, considerably higher prices. Uh, in the 0809 era, we had, had didn't have that same phenomenon. We had, had positioned ourselves in things that we had owned for quite a while and had not seen such big swings between things being up and things being down. And so there just wasn't that opportunity. The reason that this is coming up now is just what I said. We've had this big uprun in 2020, 2021, and then this boom, this big hit that's happened here in the last six months. And so it's created this circumstance where we have a lot of positions where there's gains and losses within the same company. Um, that's so. true. The, the action has been for the, I mean, since 2019, very choppy. We've had two, two sharp downturns. And then, whereas in 20, 2001 to 2007, it was a relatively smooth ride. Much, much more smooth. Okay. Well, notwithstanding the dot, the dot com era. Well, yeah. so let's say post 2000. Post, post, yes, com, post yeah. yes. Yes. So, all right. That makes sense. I learned something there. Uh, so uh, I didn't I didn't consider how that might might have factored in things. I'm very good. One of the reasons why I'm the co-host here is I'm good at playing the role of the uninformed investor. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say I'll be typecast. So, well, that closes out this episode. So, Jerry, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Doug. All right, and we will see you next time on the Long Only Podcast. Mm-hmm.